Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Amen. It's my prayer that God would bless America. And uh, before we get to the message, I want to give you the sermonette before we get to the message. There are some people that would tell us that it's wrong for us to say the word. And this is happening in the church. This is, this is a movement that's sweeping across the church even. There are some people that would tell us that it's wrong for us to even pray that God would bless America. And I'll tell you that's wrong. I only have one country that I live in. And I want God to use the country that I live in that I grew up in, that I'm a citizen of, that my kids are children, my children are citizens of. I want God to bless our country so that as revival takes place in the country that I grew up in, it will spread across the world. What's wrong is when we put America before God. As long as God is first and then we get to America, then we're right. And so we've got to make sure that this is the way that we approach um, our relationship with our country. Uh, I, I've, I've stood on this stage and I've told you this before, the Democrats and the Republicans and all of the parties in between those, the left and the right, they're not going to save us. It's God who's going to save us. And so I want God to bless America so that he moves through the United States of America so that in what he's doing in us spreads all around the globe. We have to live our theology. We have to live our theology. And our theology tells us that God puts rulers in place. God chose for America to exist. And so if God gave us this country, then we better be praying that God would bless this country so that he can use it however he sees fit. All right, I'm off of my, um, I'm off of my um, high horse now. Um, I just get frustrated when the people in the church, when there are people in the church and there's this move across the United States, the churches in the United States saying that we're wrong for wanting to God bless our country. I want God to bless everybody. But this is the only country that I've got. This is the only country that I've ever been a citizen of. And so this is where I want God to move here so that he moves around the world. Matthew chapter 6 is what we're going to take a look at this morning. So we're finishing up our study of the Lord's Prayer. We've worked our way all the way through the Lord's Prayer. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Um, I got sidetracked. Um, I forgot to tell you. Next Sunday, uh, we've told you, is our annual business meeting. And it is our annual business meeting. But I believe that God has more in store for us next week than our annual business meeting. Um, I am calling next week Vision Sunday because I believe that God has given me a powerful word to speak to us that is vision for our congregation. And so I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday. If there are others that you know that aren't here this Sunday, as you look around the room and you see that they're gone, call them when you get home or send them a message throughout the week and invite them to be here with us next Sunday. Because next Sunday is what I call Vision Sunday, and I believe that God is going to work through our service, followed up with our annual business meeting, that is going to set us on a path to chase his heart in an even greater way. 
So if you could do that for me next Sunday, be here and invite those that are part of the church to be here for Vision Sunday. I think the Lord is going to speak to us. So Matthew chapter 6. We've been working through the Lord's Prayer here. And there, we've, we've actually kind of dissected each um, area here of the Lord's Prayer and focused on each one of those. And then as a part of this, we've looked back to God's dreams that he's given us as a congregation. And we have seen how these dreams have been integrated, really, or I guess I'm doing it backwards. Um, God gives the dreams and it comes through his spoken word to us. But then we take his revealed word through the scripture and we see how it's all integrated. It's intertwined. Because Because God's word is never going to contradict with what he says to us now. And so there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We get that in the scripture. And we see here God's dreams being incorporated into what he spoke when Jesus was actually teaching the people how to pray. And so in this prayer, we've looked at the dreams that God has given us specifically as Whitechapel Church and what the Lord is actually teaching us as he actually prayed these prayers. As he prayed this one prayer, and we've taken it apart and looked at it phrase by phrase or, or section by section. And so today we're going to look at the last part of this, which is Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus prayed here at the end, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I've struggled for, for my, I think probably the majority of my relationship with Christ. I've struggled with these words. Lead us not into temptation. And what was Jesus really meaning? What was Jesus really praying when, we, when he was praying? Lord, please lead me not into temptation. And we're going to get to that. I remember, though, um, several years ago, um, um, both of our girls decided to play soccer. Uh, Lucy played, I think it was just a couple of years that Lucy played soccer, just one year uh, she played soccer. I thought it was two. The reason she only played for a short period of time is because she was more ballerina than she was soccer player. And so we have videos and photos of Lucy actually out on the soccer field and everybody's playing soccer and she's doing her little pirouettes, I think is what they call, whatever these, these ballerina terms were. She was more interested in the ballerina side, and she took that onto the soccer field with her. And so the, where we played, she played when we lived in Jacksonville, and there it was um, an upward sports league, wasn't really competitive at all, and so they were fine with little Lucy playing uh, ballerina out on the soccer field. So then we moved to Crystal River, and Abby decides that she wants to play soccer. Now, where, where Abby played soccer in Crystal River, they didn't want the ballerinas on the field. They wanted somebody to actually go and play soccer. And so Abby played for, I think, three years or so. And then one year, I think it was her second year that she played, she had this coach who was the athletic director, who became the athletic director at Crystal River High School. And he was like full-on, all-out sports. And his son was going to be like the next Michael Jordan of baseball and soccer. Like He was like all about sports, live, eat, breathe sports. It was all sports all the time. Well, God bless little Abby because she got on his team this second year. I think, it was, I think she played for him two years. And so this second year, though, um, he didn't have an assistant coach. And so he wanted to help. He, he wanted a, an assistant coach. And so he asked me, um, I can, I'll go baseball with you. Um, I know a little bit about football. I don't know anything about soccer. Like, the ball goes on the foot that goes towards the goal. Like, that's all I know about soccer. And so I then become his assistant coach because I felt bad for the guy, and I thought, you know, this is a great way to build a relationship with his family. And so, anyway, I became the assistant coach. On one of the games, 
I'm standing on the sideline, and the kid, our kids are doing, doing really good, and I'm cheering the kids on and saying, you know, watch the ball, make sure you're watching the ball. Well, the coach felt that the kids weren't focusing on the ball enough. And so he yells out across the field, watch the ball. Don't you know that there's a soccer game going on and you're not even paying a bit of attention? And so I'm like, oh, my word, you know, these are little kids. you got to handle them with a little bit of grace. Not too long after that, the Lord hit me with a thought. Watch what's going on. Don't you know that there's a game that's taking place here? And I think that that's what Jesus is saying to us. By the time we get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, when he is saying, temptation is an issue because you have flesh wrapped around your bones. Jesus is saying, you need to be aware of the game that is taking place that the enemy is putting on all around you. And we have to keep our eyes not on a ball, but instead on a Savior who died for us and be aware of the attacks of the enemy that come to us from temptation. Now, Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation. I don't like how those words actually were translated in this one. And I I like the way that it was translated in another translation that reminds us, deliver us. And we get this at the second part, deliver us from the evil one. But it says, deliver us from temptation. And you know, that's what Jesus wants to do for every single one of us. He loves you so much that he wants to deliver you from temptation. And so here in Matthew 6, 13, Jesus says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There was a pastor that once, I read this illustration, and I thought it was great, I want to share with you, but a pastor once told his congregation that he learned a great lesson from his dog. This is what he said. His master used to put a bit of meat or a biscuit or some kind of food on the ground, and then he would say to the dog, don't eat that. And the dog would run over, and he would eat it, because that's what dogs do. So he would hit the dog every time the dog ate the meat or the biscuit or some type of a food. And then the master would put another piece of meat on the ground, and he would say to the dog, don't eat that. The dog would go over, he would eat whatever it was he put on the ground, and the master would hit him again. This went on and on and on until the dog finally realized that don't eat that meant don't go eat what the master was putting on the ground. And as it went on and on and on, the dog became skittish. And when he would say, don't eat that, he put the piece of, put the piece of food down on the ground, don't eat that, then the dog would hesitate. Do I go or do I not go? Do I go or do I not go? And there were a majority of the times a dog would go until it eventually got to the place that the dog only looked steadfastly in the master's face, waiting for the master to provide for him. This is the perfect analogy of what Jesus does for every single one of us in temptation. Jesus will say to us, don't go there. Don't go there. Because he knows that the enemy is going to provide the hit that lures us away from Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, don't go there, don't go there. And every time we go there and that hit comes from the enemy, it hurts our Savior more than it hurts us. 
Because he knows that whatever that temptation that we've yielded to has separated us from the relationship that God desired for us to have. And the lesson that we learned from this dog that this pastor shared in an illustration was that in order for us to overcome temptation, what we have to do is look full in our Savior's face and rely on the strength that he provides us through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we then avoid the hit of the enemy that comes when we yield into temptation. I want to ask you to turn back to Matthew chapter 4. So you just turn back a few, uh, on my Bible it's just one page, but just a couple of chapters. Because I want to tell you something that I think that we miss sometimes. We, we eventually get it right, but we miss it sometimes when we're living this out. When we're living out the words of Jesus, when it says, don't lead me into temptation or deliver me from temptation and from the evil one. Sometimes we buy into the lie of the enemy that the temptation is the actual sin and then the act is a continuation of the sin. Hear me when I say this because you have to know this today. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not the sin. It's yielding in to temptation and allowing the temptation to overcome your will and your relationship with Jesus Christ, or to say it another way, the temptation, the, the sin in the temptation is when we turn our eyes off of Jesus and we're looking at the temptation and we're like, oh, that I have to have. And then when we go for that and we commit the act, then we have sin. Temptation in and of itself is not the sin. And so the lie that we buy into from the enemy is, well, I've been tempted. I may as well go ahead and sin because I'm doing wrong already. And so if I'm doing wrong, then I'm going to have that which I want to have to begin with. Listen, that is a lie from the enemy. And you have to curse it with the blood of Jesus Christ and remove it from your mind so that you don't buy into the enemy's lie. Well, I've already been tempted. I've already sinned. I may as well participate in the act. No, no, no. Because in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself was tempted. And if temptation was a sin, then that makes Jesus a sinner. And the scripture is clear to us that Jesus was perfect in every way. He was the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb for us that died on the cross and he never sinned. So temptation is not the sin. The enemy will lie to you to get to that. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4. I want to take a look at the first three verses. We're going to look at several verses here. And it's interesting to me. I just love, God is just so amazing, and how he laid out this plan that we have right here. In Matthew chapter 4, we discover the temptation of Jesus, and then right after that, Jesus is going into his public ministry. So here in Matthew chapter 4, he's in isolation. He's spending about 40 days and nights away. He's spending it fasting, and he's in prayer and focusing on the mission that God is 
launching him into. And then he begins his public ministry and he starts preaching and he starts gathering crowds and he starts telling them all of this stuff. And then after he's tempted, he says this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know why Jesus prayed that prayer? It's because he overcame the temptation and he knew the power of God, if we're looking full into his face, was more than enough for us to turn away from temptation and to resist the temptation from the enemy. Jesus had been tempted. Jesus did not yield into temptation. And so he knew when he prayed, lead us not there, that God could give you the power if you were willing to look into his face instead of looking at the temptation. So the first three verses here in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. This is where I've, I've wondered, and this is just a pondering point. So this, I, I, this is a freebie for you. I'm not going to preach about it. But I'm, I'm wrestling with this, and, I, and I'm wondering. It says that Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Two chapters later... Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation. I wonder if what Jesus was really saying to us was, God, help me not be led into temptation. It, we know that God isn't the one that leads us into the temptation. Here we know in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it is the enemy. It is the devil that leads us into temptation. That is his job. He wants to lead us away from God, to cause us to sin, to separate us from God, so that he then becomes the master of our lives. And so here, we know that the enemy is leading Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Now think about this. The enemy, the devil, is leading Jesus, God, wrapped in the flesh, into temptation. Hear this. If Jesus can be led into temptation, then you can be led into temptation. And if you are led into temptation, then you need, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that helps you be victorious like Jesus to overcome temptation. Every one of us can be tempted. Every one of us can be led into temptation. Now, this would be a whole other sermon or a series of sermon where God protects us and he covers us. We can talk about that, and there are times that God covers us, and there are times when we get so wrapped up in pride, he removes that covering and says, okay, if that's how you want to be, then you're going to be led right into temptation, and watch as you're led into temptation, you're going to fail every single time. That happens to us. That's a whole other set of messages, and we can talk about that another time. Verse number 2 in Matthew chapter 4. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. The interesting thing to me here in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 3, is what's the first word out of the enemy's mouth to Jesus? If, if, what happens when there's that word? It's usually a question, isn't it? If this is who you are, then shouldn't you be allowed to do this? If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he's saying, if this is who you are, and you know what the enemy's doing in this? 
he's questioning the identity of Jesus. And you know what he does to you every single time? He starts temptation by questioning your identity. If you are a child of God, if you are this Christian that you say that you are, if you are this person, then let's go here. Every single time, this is the attack of the enemy. And you know what he does? He's planting doubt there. He's planting doubt in Jesus' mind. But you know why Jesus was able to overcome the temptation? And you know why two chapters later, he was able to tell us this is how we need to pray about temptation? Because Jesus understood and knew who he was. And if you don't know whose you are, you will fail when the temptation comes at you every single time. Because you think, oh, I, I, I am Michael Chambliss, right? I can get over this. I can overcome this temptation on my own. I, I've never been tempted to go that route, or I've never been tempted with this, or I once was tempted with this, and I'm over that. That's in my past now. I can do this. I can do this on my own. And every time when that's our attitude, pride comes before the fall, and then we fall, and then we're like, oh, Lord, I've messed up again, and I fell right back into, the, into this temptation. I thought it was something in my past. I thought I had won the victory over that. I thought I was past that mountain, and here I am. Or I thought that this was something I would never fall into temptation in. But you know what happens? It's when we look inside of us, instead of looking full into the face of God, and we think that the power to overcome temptation is us, and it's not, it's Him. Because we have become a child of God, we have the power to overcome any temptation that the enemy throws at us. The power to defeat temptation is in, not in us, it is instead in Him. And in order to be victorious, you have to know who you belong to. When the enemy said, if you are the Son of God, take a look at verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God, man doesn't live by bread alone. Hear me when I say this to you, and I want you to get this this morning. If, if you get little out of this time together this morning, this is what I want you to get. Jesus understands you. Jesus understands you. Catch the, the importance of that. He understands you. That's why he came to die for you. That's why he came and said, I have to give these people, my creation, a way to come back into relationship with me so that when the enemy comes at them or when the enemy is leading them into temptation, they understand who they belong to because I paid the price for them. Jesus understands you. He understands you. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
catch the word there at the very beginning of this. The writer of Hebrews says that he is able to empathize with us. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Jesus understands you. Jesus gets it when temptation comes at you. He's waiting to see if you're going to rely and looking in his face at his glory and his power to overcome the temptation or if you are going to turn and you're going to look at the temptation. And I can just imagine in all of the times that we're looking at the temptation that Jesus is calling our name and saying, you are mine. You are a child of God. Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at the temptation. Jesus empathizes with you when the tempter comes at you. Next, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, if we were to go back, this is what the writer tells us. Because he, Jesus, himself suffered when he was tempted. Do you catch what hap- what's happening when we're reading here in, in Matthew chapter 4, what's happening to Jesus? He's suffering because of the temptation. When you suffer because of temptation... And the urge is to turn into that temptation. Jesus gets it because he was there also. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. If you have trouble focusing on Jesus in the midst of temptation, whenever the enemy is leading you into temptation... And when that lure is to look at the temptation and to not look to Jesus Christ, you need to remember these two verses from Hebrews. He empathizes with you and he is there to help you. The question that you have to reconcile in these moments is whose strength are you going to rely on? Are you going to rely on your own strength? Or are you going to turn to Jesus and say, I can't do this on my own? The enemy is right here. He is beckoning me to turn my, my, my gaze away from you. And right now, God, I need you to help me. Listen, this is living our theology out. And living out the word of God for us. That he empathizes with us and he is able to help us in these actual moments. If you write things down, if you take pictures, I want to ask you to, to, to write this statement down. The Christian life is nothing more than practicing the presence of Jesus Christ. The Christian life is nothing more than practicing the presence of Jesus Christ. So if we want to be followers of Jesus, or if we want to be what we would say are Christians, then in these moments when temptation does come to us, then in these moments when the tempter is right here, he's led us into temptation, what we need to do is start practicing the presence of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He spoke the word of God. He didn't have a conversation with the enemy. He didn't say, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, but I have a God who's going to say, no, that's not, what the, that's not what Jesus did with the enemy. When the enemy led Jesus into temptation, and when the enemy came to him and said, hey, you're hungry, why don't you turn these stones into bread? 
Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to yield into your temptation. Because Jesus knew that the enemy wants to lure us into conversation. What Jesus did instead is start quoting the Word of God. Do you know why he was doing that? He was practicing the presence of God with him. Because his Word is living And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we with our own power and we with our own words cannot defeat the enemy. But when we practice the presence of Jesus Christ, then we can defeat the enemy. Because my conversation with the enemy will always be a losing conversation. And Jesus knew in the flesh, when you start having a conversation with the enemy, you're going to always lose. It happened with Adam and Eve. What happened in the garden? What did the enemy do? He came to Eve and he said, did God really say this? Another if statement, right? That's how the enemy attacks. That's how he leads us into temptation. And Eve did not recognize what the enemy was doing. She didn't know that she had been led into temptation and the enemy was drawing her. She thought she just had to have a conversation with the enemy to overcome it. But when she began that conversation that the enemy initiated, she lost. And if the first two people that God created lose in that scenario, then you better believe that some 6,000 years later or so that we're going to lose that conversation as well. Because you cannot have a conversation with the enemy and win. The way that you win is to practice the presence of Jesus Christ. And then start quoting the Word. Jesus is the Word. Read John 1. Jesus is the Word. You've got to practice the presence every single day. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What did Jesus do? He started quoting the Word. Take a look at verse 5. Verse 5, then the devil, devil loses this first one. There's going to be two more here. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the high point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, the enemy said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And at this point, you see what the enemy's doing here? The enemy knows. He's smart. He's smart. The enemy says, okay, Jesus, if you're going to quote Scripture to me, then what I'm going to do is start quoting Scripture back to you. And you know why the enemy does that? Oh, he knows the Word of God. He knows it forward and backwards. And every time into temptation, he's going to turn it around against you. And Jesus could have said, oh, yeah, that's true. You're right, enemy. But you know what that would have done? Began a conversation with the enemy of which flesh cannot win in that conversation, that causes us to turn our eyes away from Jesus, from practicing the presence of God, to engaging the enemy. And you don't have to engage the enemy because he was defeated on the cross by Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? That's the promise that you have as a child of God. You don't have to have the conversation. Jesus didn't have the conversation. And Jesus did not say, that's right, enemy. You're quoting the word of God, and that's the truth. That would have caused him to fail. But in verse 7, this is what Jesus did. Jesus answered him, it is also written. 
What's he doing? He's giving him the word of God back. Why? Because he's practicing the presence of God. God is in his word. And that's why it's important for us to know and understand his word. Because the enemy knows it, and the enemy understands it, and he's going to turn it against us in temptation and use it to lead us away. You've got to know the word of God. Because Jesus in praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Matthew chapter 6, had experienced the power of the word of God in those tempting moments. And he used it against the enemy. If we were to keep going here in verse number 8, or in, I'm sorry, verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. The enemy says, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Verse 10, and Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then what happens in verse 11? Then the devil left him. Why? Because he was practicing the presence of God and serving the enemy, the Word of God. If you want to overcome temptation in your life, then you have to start practicing the Word, or I'm sorry, you have to start practicing the presence of God. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist is telling us long before Jesus, long before Jesus ever came and was, was uh, defeated the enemy in temptation and walked away victorious, long before Jesus ever gathered some people and was teaching them how to pray, the psalmist says, I have to have your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. That's why every Sunday morning I stand and I make sure that the things we talk about on Sunday morning are written or are, are about the Word of God. That's why I take Scripture after Scripture and Scripture and I make sure that I share it on Sunday morning so that we are getting and understanding the Word of God. That's why we have Warner Christian Academy and we require our students every day to sit in a Bible class so that they make sure that they are getting the Word of God in them. That's why right now, our children are gathered on the other side of these walls right here so that they can get the Word of God on their level. That's why on Sunday evenings at this church, we provide a space for our youth to open up the Word of God and have some conversation on their level so that we make sure that at all points in what we do as a church, the Word of God gets inside of us so that we have the power to overcome temptation. This is who we are as a church. And this is how we as a nation will succeed and go, or we will arise above all of the strife and we will be victorious if we make sure that we have the Word of God as our foundation. It's not just true here. It's true everywhere. So, we have to get the Word of God inside of us. So that we make sure that we are practicing the presence of God. 
So how is it that we overcome? I want to I close this morning by sharing two things. How is it that we get to the practical basis so that in just a few minutes, when we close in prayer here, we turn off the lights and the air conditioning and we go home, we actually put into practice what we've talked about here this morning. The one thing that you have to make sure that you're doing is practice spiritual disciplines. You see, long before Jesus gets to the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, he knew the word of God. If temptation is going to come at you, and it is, then long before you get into the tempting moment, you have to know the word of God. You can't wait till you get there and say, "Uh, Satan, can you hang on just a minute? I need to go back and find something from the scripture so that I can come back and be victorious over that. Because you know what you've done in that moment? You've engaged him in a conversation. And then he's going to turn around and give you scripture the same way that he did Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. You've got to know the word of God. So you've got to, after church on Sunday morning, throughout the week, you've got to take this book off the shelf and you've got to get into it. And then as you get into it, you've got to let it get into you. So that when the enemy comes... You don't have to say, can we push pause just a moment? I'll be right back. You're there and you're ready. So the reason you get in the scripture and it gets inside of you is so you can start practicing the presence of Jesus Christ. And so not only do you have to get into the word and it get in you, you've got to sit down and make some time on your schedule so it's just you and Jesus You've got to clear the clutter from life itself. And you've got to sit down and say, God, what is it that you want to say to me today? And you just start sitting with God and having conversation with God. And then, and then, if God speaks something to you, you've got to write it down. You can't just let God speak something to you and run off into the day. If somebody who's the most powerful person in the world or the most influential person in the world, whoever that might be for you, came and stood before you and gave you a piece of advice, don't you think it would be important enough to write that down? Yeah. One of the, one of the people that Lucy looks up to and, and she, she loves, or I mean Abby looks up to, and she loves to read about is Abraham Lincoln. If Abraham Lincoln were to stand before Abby and to give Abby a piece of advice for her life, you better believe that I'd be telling Abby, Abby, you need to write that down. Like he, He's a very powerful person. He did some awesome stuff in leading our country, and you need to write down what it was that he said to you. Well, don't you think it's even more important as a follower of Jesus Christ if God says something to you that you better write it down? Like If God wants to tell you how to live your life, or if God wants to give you a piece of advice to overcome temptation, or if God wants to give you something from his word to get inside of you that would empower you in life, don't you think it's important enough to write down what God says to you? So you've got to clear your schedule so that you can sit with God, forget about the hurry of life, Forget about the busyness of life. Step aside from family for a few moments. Step aside from your work. And here, here's what the enemy's going to tell you. The enemy's going to tell you, you're so busy at work. You need to hurry and spend more time at work so that as you spend more time at work, you're going to be able to spend more time with, with the Lord. No, it doesn't work that way. As you spend more time with the Lord, he'll provide more time for you at work. 
And the enemy's going to say, well, you need to hurry up and spend a little more time with family because you've only got this much time with your family and you need to make the most with your family. You don't have time to spend time with God. No, he's led you in temptation. And your family and your work need you to be spending time with God. So that when you come to work, you're practicing the presence of God and God has given you the steps that you need to take. And the same with your family. Your family needs you to spend time with God so that when you're spending time with your family, you're practicing the presence of God together so that then it's a quality time. You have to have some spiritual disciplines in your life and not wait until the moment of temptation because if that's the case, you're going to fail every time. You have to be in the Word of God. And you have to be sitting with God and saying, God, how do I get this inside of me and how do I start living it out? So you know what I would do? If, if, this, if this were me, I would go home from here today and I would sit with my journal with the Lord and I would say, God, Pastor Michael spoke Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Remind him. What, what this says, you, when you were here in flesh, prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, how does that apply to my life today? And then wait. Because the writer from Hebrews tells us that he empathizes with us and he will help us. Now, either we believe what the writer of Hebrews says or we don't. And if you don't, that's okay. I believe what the writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus empathizes with us, that Jesus will help us. And when we sit with the Lord and when we ask the question, how do I live out Matthew chapter 6, 13? He's going to give you some answers. You've got to be patient and wait and begin to practice the word of God. Practice the presence of Christ. The next thing that you need to do, you need to apply those spiritual disciplines to your life. And the next thing you need to do, and I'm, and I'm finished after this, is you have to get somebody in your life that will speak the truth to you. Somebody that will speak the truth to you. Well, what is truth? Because the world will tell us there's a lot of different ways to truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Listen, outside of Jesus, there is no truth. And if you've got people in your life that are speaking things other than Jesus, you've got to get them out of your life. And you've got to get some people in your life that are going to speak the truth to you. That's why we started Celebrate Recovery. We started it because we feel that Jesus told us that this needed to be a ministry of Whitechapel Church. But as we begin to look at Celebrate Recovery, we knew that this was some group of people that was going to speak truth into each other's lives. And when temptation did come... That these people speaking truth in each other's lives were going to practice the presence of Jesus so that they did not engage the enemy in conversation and they would be able to live victorious lives together. Because you need people in your life that speak the truth to you. So make sure that you are taking spiritual disciplines and sitting with the Lord and getting His Word in you and then getting some people around you that speak the truth to you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, you can read all of this. But the first part of this is so powerful. And I think it's for us in temptation. 
Two are better than one. You can read all of the rest of that. But that's the message of how you can help yourself overcome temptation. Because two are better than one. And when one person has turned their eyes and started looking at the tempter, then the other person can say, hey, hang on just a second. Let me help you and turn your eyes back to Jesus so that you are practicing the presence of Christ. You, any of you know who David Brown is? There's a lot of different David Browns. But I want to tell you about the world record David Brown this morning. I found out about David Brown yesterday. Didn't, never heard about David Brown, but I discovered David Brown yesterday. David Brown is the fastest blind runner in the world. And he's from the United States. He's blind. And he holds the world record in 100 and 200 meter runs. And he's blind. David Brown. I want to show you just a little video clip about David Brown. Brown. The reigning world champion goes in lane three alongside Jerome Avery, former international sprinter for the United States. I ran with him our first practice. Coach immediately said, you're going to run with him after me. And, you know, the rest has been history. Here you go. Drive, 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 drive. Stay in tight. Running with Jerome, I don't have to worry about going out too far. All I have to focus on is just listening to him. Get up. Nice. Arm action should be exact. We should be hitting the ground at the same time. This time, they're away, and Brown gets away very, very well in shape. Can you see his run? We're like one person. It should look like one person running. That's the, that tracking side on camera is magic to watch because it just shows that they're running almost like one person. Did, did, you, did you catch what the announcer said there? David Brown, because he's blind, he doesn't run by himself. He has to have a guide right beside him, right beside him. And that guide is keeping step by step, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, arms in motion, the exact same. But did you catch what the announcer had said right there at the very end? It's almost like they are running as one person. You know why? Because David Brown, because of his handicap, can't run the race by himself. He has to have a guide right beside him. And the guide, if you were to watch what the guide was saying, you heard it. Try, David, try, try, try. Let me, sh let me show you this video. Uh, this one, you can turn the sound down on this one, Adrian. It's, it's just, you can hardly see it here. But watch Jerome's mouth. Come on, David. Let's go. Come on, David. Read his lips. You've got this. Go, David. Go, David. Go, David. And you know, that's what Jesus does for us. When the tempter comes, we're running step by step with Jesus. And he's saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. And he's calling your name and he's saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. But you have to look in his face. Because of our handicap, because of the flesh, we can't overcome temptation. 
so the one who can came and wrapped himself in flesh and he died on the cross for you so that you would be victorious. And my question for you today, as Jesus is running alongside you, cheering you on, is who are you going to listen to? Are you going to run in step with Jesus, left foot, right foot, arms up, arms down? Are you going to practice the presence of God? Are you going to let Jesus empower you? Are you going to turn and look at the tempter? And if you've turned this morning, the Holy Spirit has convicted you, then it's been my prayer that you would hear Jesus cheering you on, saying, try, 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 and calling your name, go. This morning, you've got to commit to looking into his face. So as we close, I want to ask you to do that. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning. If something that I've said has stirred something inside of you this morning, that you're just like, yeah, I've, I've felt Jesus running beside me calling my name. I felt his power overcoming me as I've looked into temptation or I've failed. And this morning, I'm willing to lay it all down and I'm walking away from everything and I'm surrendering, saying, God, I'm going forward in your power alone. And if that's the case, that I want you to get out of the seat where you're at and I want you to come and kneel at one of these altars. And you know what? It's okay whoever comes because all of us are in flesh and all of us have Jesus running the race beside us, cheering us on, saying, go, go, try, try. And it's only when we pause to kneel and completely surrender to him that we walk the victorious life that he has for us. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.